Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, apart from you I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods, or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Lovely to be with you again. Uh, I want to begin by recreating a famous social survey with you. What you've got to do is choose between two worlds. Now, for this to work, you need to understand that one pound buys exactly the same amount in both worlds. Okay? So, forget inflation. I'm not an economist. You can talk to me afterwards. But one pound buys the same in both worlds. In world A, you earn 50,000 pounds and everyone else earns 25,000 pounds. In world B, you earn 100,000 pounds. Everybody else earns 200,000 pounds. Which world do you want to live in? Do you know statistically what most people choose? World A. World A, even though materially you'll be less well off. What makes us content, what makes us happy is not to be comfortable, secure, rich, wealthy, however you want to put it. What makes me happy and content is not to be rich, but to be richer than him, <laughs> richer than her. We live in uh, what historian Arthur Schlesinger has termed the age of inextinguishable discontent. And one of the main reasons that we lack contentment is that we live in continual comparison with other people. We're always comparing ourselves. We compare ourselves with other people and their realistic, genuine lives, as displayed on social media. Um, and we live in comparison with stuff. So, my iPhone is great, it works perfectly fine, I'm very happy with it. Until, of course, they release the iPhone 15, at which point my one is rubbish. And, frankly, life can't continue until I get that one. Or, property. Uh, those of you, whether you're renting or owning, let, Another experiment, when you walk past an estate agent's and you look in the window, or when you find yourself on right move, do you look at places that are cheaper than the place you currently live in and think, I'm so grateful that I live in a nicer place? Yeah, as if. No, we look at nicer places and wish, I wish I lived in there. It's what we always do, we always compare up, we always look outwards, and so we are filled with inextinguishable discontent. And most of us go through life with a nagging sense of lack, a sort of low-level background noise of discontent and grumbling. Always wanting more, never at peace, never quite able to enjoy what I have. 
Now, it might seem odd to turn to the Bible for the answer to that, but we're wrong if we think the Bible answers spiritual questions, if, you, you know, if you're bothered about a relationship with God. The, the Bible is all of life questions, because God made the whole world. And for the answer to our modern angst, we're going to turn back to the ancient wisdom of Psalm 16, written by the great poet King David in about 1000 BC. And in it, David tells us how to find the good life, the life that we want, the life that will make you and me content, happy. He shows us the who, the what, and the when of the life we all want. The who, the what, and the when. Firstly, the who. Verses 1 to 4. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. That declaration is the foundation of his life. He knows God personally. He doesn't just know there is a God. He can say, this God is my God, my Lord. I wonder if you could say the same. It is the heart of contentment. And just as importantly, he knows that his God, this God of the Bible, is the source of every good thing. Verse 3, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out their libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Now, running after other gods is a, is a slightly strange image. If you and I have religious statues in our home, I doubt it's because we think they have the power to make my life go better. Usually it's because we went on holiday to Thailand and thought they'd go well with the soft furnishings. But when the Bible talks about gods or idols, same thing, it doesn't necessarily mean an, an ancient statue. It just means those things that we look to to provide ultimate meaning ultimate value, ultimate security. In other words, those things that we look to to provide the things only God can truly give. Uh, good things like career, family, relationships, financial security, health, popularity. Good things that we make into God things. And verse 4 says, look, you'll regret it. If you build your life on something or someone other than the God of the Bible, ultimately you'll regret it. Why? Well, because either they will fail us or we will fail them. Um, my wife, uh, for, she's a lizard. Um, that sounds rather unpleasant. She's delightful and amazing. She's a lizard in the sense that rest for her means basking in the sun. She is that, that's what makes her happy and that's what makes her rest. And so the definition of a good holiday for my wife involves a lilo. If it's hot enough that she can lie on a lino in warm water, she is a very, very happy wife. And linos are just fantastic. I was going to bring the large pink flamingo lino we have at home, but I thought I might struggle to explain my way through security in Parliament. Uh, so I thought I would leave that behind. But they are fantastic if you're basking in the warmth of a nice pool or the med on holiday. But they always have a warning label, usually printed in very strange English because they were printed somewhere where English isn't the first language, but they, they say something to the order of not to be used for a life-saving device. Not to be used for a life-saving device. Because while lilos enable you to enjoy a holiday that much more, they are no good to depend on to save your life if you're caught in a storm at sea. Uh, the pounding of waves in the North Atlantic would just shred it in seconds. They're not designed to save you, just to make life a bit more fun. 
And so many of the things that you and I look to for meaning and value and security are lilos. They're lovely, wonderful if you have them, good relationships, financial security, popularity, wonderful. But they cannot take the weight of all your hopes and your need for your life to matter. So, for instance, career. If career is the thing that I look to to define me, to give my sense of meaning and value, then I'll live with a low-grade dissatisfaction with work because it can never quite do that. A job can never take that much weight. It wasn't designed to be the basis of your identity. It was designed to give you something useful to do between nine and five, or nine and nine for many of us. And, and if, it, if you find it fulfilling and enjoyable, then so much the better. But it cannot provide your identity. It'll fall apart under that weight. It'll never satisfy, or alternatively, the career won't fail you, you'll fail your career. And that failure will completely crush you because you've built your meaning around your job. The same goes for all the other things we're tempted to look to, to make our lives worth living. But Jesus is different. Because he's God Almighty, because he is the uncreated creator, the almighty God, he can take the weight of all our needs, all our hopes, all our expectations. We can build them on him. And he will not be crushed. And when we fail him, as inevitably we do, then amazingly we find there is forgiveness. There is grace because he died on the cross to pay for that failure. The who of blessing. It's Jesus, the God of the Bible, that you need to know if you want to be content. Secondly, the what of blessing. We find out what, what blessing looks like and what it consists in in verses 5 to 8. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Now, that, the point there is that everything we have and need comes from God. You are my portion and my cup. Now, David pictures life as a meal, God is serving him, and the portions are magnificent, David says. Now, the most fundamental thing about the what of blessing, the what of the good life, is that it begins with a hoop. A person with God. You are my portion and my cup. And there are two reasons, really, for that. Uh, first, we were designed to find our deepest satisfaction as humans in knowing God. Famously, the great African theologian of the 4th century, Augustine, put it this way, O oh, our God, you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We were made for God. He is the ultimate what that our hearts long for. But secondly, everything, and I mean everything that we could need or want, ultimately comes from him. You make my lot secure, he continues in verse 5. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I praise the Lord who counsels me, even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord, with him at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So, uh, you made my lot secure. In other words, you provide certain hope for the future. You are my pension plan, God. Verse 6, the boundary lines are even set by him. He decides how big my garden is, or if you live in London, my pot plant. He decides how much money I earn, how many children I have, whether I'm healthy or sick. It all comes from him. Verse 7, he provides the counsel we need. Wisdom to work out what on earth do we do in this world. 
Verse 8, he is at David's right hand, a symbol of his strength. I don't even need to be afraid of the giant Goliath, because you are at my right hand, God. In other words, God is an out-of-town Tesco superstore God. Now, those of you who are regional representatives, not in the sense that he destroys small local businesses, but in the sense that everything and everything you could possibly need is all found in him. You don't have to go anywhere else. Everything you could want comes from him. But there is a a phrase we need to just pause on if we're really going to grasp that. God has drawn the boundary lines of my life. The boundary lines. Everything we want and need comes from him. But you'll only ever be truly content if you accept the other side of that statement. Namely, that the things that aren't within my boundary lines... God has drawn those boundary lines, and he remains good. That's the point where this really bites us, I suspect, for many of us. It's, it's perhaps easy to praise God when we recognise he's given me all the good things that I enjoy. It's much, much harder to deal with God when I realise that ultimately he is the one who has said no to this, as well as yes to that. Do I believe he's good, even though the boundary lines he's drawn for me? I mean, some things are outside my inheritance, outside my life right now. House, partner, health, children. Until I trust God is good in the drawing of the boundary lines and knows better than me what is good, I'll never be truly happy. Uh, My son has a tummy bug at the moment, uh, so he's having to endure what counts as almost unimaginable torture for a seven-year-old boy eating plain toast for dinner, while on the other side of the table, his six-year-old brother eats pasta with sauce and yoghurt and fruit for dessert. It is just misery. He's hungry. The food he wants is on a plate there. We're giving it to somebody else and denying it to him. We are pure evil as parents, and he will probably never be able to forgive us. He just doesn't get that, well, if we did give him the food he wants, Right now, the results would be unpleasant in the middle of the night for all the family. And so often, I just can't understand why God, if you're a loving God, you've given this thing to him and her and them. Why not me? How can you be good if I'm starving, there's food, and you won't give it to me? But God knows best. He knows what's truly good for me. Well, well done. You've asserted it. You've illustrated it. Prove it. Prove it. Well, the secret of contentment, of this settled confidence that God is good in what I have and even in what I don't have, but it doesn't come by accident. And it doesn't come from Instagram, from looking out at others. It comes from looking at the heart of the Christian message, which is the cross. You see, at the cross, I see that God was willing to give the most precious thing in all of existence his own son, to come willingly to die on a cross that we might have eternal riches and paradise forever with God and our sins forgiven. God was willing to give the most precious being in existence, his own son, for you and for me. Now if God was truly willing to give us his son, Jesus Christ, then surely I can trust him that he can be trustworthy to give me everything I truly need right now. 
the, the what of contentment. The what of contentment is the God who our hearts need more than anything else and is a confidence that God is the one who can give everything we need and God will give everything we need. Finally though, uh, this life is not the best that God has on offer. There is something more, the when of blessing. And this too is critical. If we stop there, we make a mistake. But there is something more. Verses 9 to 11. When is blessing found? Therefore my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. When is blessing found from God? When does he give good gifts? Well, in one sense, now, every good thing comes from him in this life. But, even the very best things God gives now are just a shadow, a foretaste of what he will pour upon us in eternity. If you like, uh, the blessings that God gives us in this life are Advent calendar chocolates. They're great, but they are nothing compared with what's coming on Christmas Day. And as you and I look to the future, we can be confident we will not be disappointed, no matter how hard things may be in this life. See, our great hope for the future, if you trust in Jesus, is not a triple-locked, gold-plated pension or private health care, especially not if you're the Prime Minister, but the, our great hope for the future, our great hope for the future is the God who will not abandon us to the grave, verse 10. It's the God who will bring us into his eternal kingdom where we will find at his right hand pleasures forevermore. Don't think heaven will be a church service that never ends, as this one could do. No, a church service that never ends is not heaven. You know, those church chapel services from your childhood that were a little bit on the dull side of boring. Those who trust in Jesus will spend eternity with the God who invented wine, chocolate, music, sex, cricket, sunshine, laughter, and I could go on. Everything good comes from him. When Jesus returns and remakes this world, it will be better than the best holiday you've ever seen on the Kuoni Instagram feed. Now, as good as that is already, this psalm actually gets better when you see what happens when Jesus arrives. But I hear you ask, how could this be? What could be possibly better than the promise of an eternal paradise? Well, I'll tell you what could be better. After Jesus' death and resurrection, his earliest followers looked back to the Old Testament uh, of the Bible, and in particular the book of Psalms. And they understood that ultimately these psalms of this King David pointed to great David's greatest son, the true King Jesus. They understood that Jesus was the one who perfectly trusts in the Father. He is the one who rests secure, even though he was crucified, knowing that his body would rise again. He is the one who the grave couldn't hold, and he was raised to eternal, glorious life. Okay, how does that make it better to know that it's actually really about Jesus? Well, because when you trust in the God of this psalm and the promises he makes, you trust in something more certain than the promise of God. Heresy. No, not heresy. What could be more certain than a promise made by God? Well, a promise that God has already fulfilled. 
You see, when you trust in the promises God makes in Psalm 16, now we trust in them having already seen them fulfilled in the life of Jesus, in his death and his resurrection. So you and I can have certain hope of the eternal life in God's paradise kingdom. Because as God's Holy One, Jesus didn't see decay. So I know if I trust in Jesus and trust this God, that I too will be raised with him. As we see Jesus raised to God's right hand to enjoy pleasures forevermore, I know that if I trust in Jesus, then through him I share these promises and I can be certain I too will enter God's paradise kingdom. So as we trust in Jesus, we can sing and pray this psalm with confidence. And when you know this, when you know that Jesus is the guarantee of every good promise God has made, well, you can be content in this life, even as you strive to make this world better for yourself and others. Secret of contentment in the era of uh, discontent, well, is to look away from the endless comparison and the depressing illusion of the perfect social media lives. Look away. Look up to the God who can and does provide with your every need. Look forward to the day he will welcome you into an eternal paradise better than anything you've ever imagined. And oddly, look back. Look back to the death of Jesus, which proves God will generously give anything you truly need, no matter the cost. And look back to his resurrection, and the guarantee of his promise for your future. Let me pray. Our Father God, as we live in a world marked by discontent, and as we know it in our own hearts, we pray that you would help us to look to the promises of this psalm, that we would know the God of the Bible as the one who provides our every need. Help us to look to, to the Jesus of whom this psalm ultimately speaks, and see those promises fulfilled. Help us, therefore, to be able to trust you and to live whole, content, fulfilled lives in this world, confident of our future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.